0: Hey, welcome into the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt, and thank you for joining me, and I'm sorry that this is a couple of days late. I was uh, under the weather, uh, to say the least, the last couple of days, so that's why uh, you'll hear kind of the voice the way that it is. I lost my voice totally, completely. So. Tough to do a podcast when you lose your voice. Got my hot tea. I'm ready to go and uh, get through this thing. We've got a lot of cool things to get to. But remember, if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do so. You can get it wherever podcasts, uh, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, follow the show, rate, review us, uh, send us your feedback. You can follow the show, any social media. Um, at Joel Klatt Show. You can follow me at Joel Klatt on Twitter or at Joel underscore Klatt on Instagram. Okay, uh, lots to get into. Uh, a really cool topic that I want to talk about and might be more of a focus even in further conversations as I get into the interview series and we start to talk to some of the commissioners here during the course of the offseason season. Uh, I want to start to lay the groundwork of my thoughts on the calendar in college football. So I'll I'll, I'll give you thoughts on that. Um, and then we'll get into some of the news that happened in college football over the course of the last week. Uh, Alabama got new coordinators and um, new contracts were given or written at Iowa. We'll get into that and mailbag. And that's becoming some of my favorite stuff, uh, period. Let's get into it. By the way, the mailbag is going to be amazing. So you got to stay till the end. Um, let's get into the calendar. All right. Let's start with this premise. The calendar in college football is as a lot of things are in this sport, totally broken and it has to be addressed. And, and I think that it will be addressed. Um, I just don't know how long it'll take to, to be addressed. Um, I'm going to specifically talk about one section of the calendar. There's a lot of things that you can talk about and we will talk about during the course of the off season, but one specific area of the calendar I'm going to talk about is, is that early December and then through December and into January portion of the calendar. So let's talk about those two months, December and January and how they should look different in college football. First, we got to kind of know what's what's wrong with it or what's broken. And, and I think that this goes without being said, but let's just say that when you put everything into a blender and then turn it on and like run it all around, that's not good, right? Okay, that just breaks everything. It makes everything messy. And that's what college football does. Um, the first week of December turns into a blender. and And nobody can really navigate it all that well. I think that it puts an immense amount of pressure on head football coaches, it puts an immense amount of pressure on uh, the players to make decisions uh, for themselves, and we need to space it out. So let me first define what I'm talking about. When we look at the first week, the first week and a half of December, what we have currently in college football is the best teams that are qualifying for the conference championship games are preparing for the conference championship game. Normally, those happen the first week, uh, the first Saturday in December. What also happens is the coaching carousel starts. And I know that that carousel is starting earlier and earlier um, now uh, in, 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 in the modern college football. But I'm talking about assistants, coaches, coaches being hired and fired. So that starts and even teams that are trying to prepare for games that week, and certainly teams that have qualified for bowl games and start to prepare for bowl games, they're starting to lose assistant coaches. So the carousel presents a lot of chaos there that, that first week of December. Then, in their infinite knowledge... The NCA decided like, hey, let's let's space out the portal and let's make sure that the portal opens December 5th. That's the Monday after the conference championship games. So now the portal opens up and it's just like, Boof! it's just like an explosion of players go to the portal. Thousands of players, hundreds of players enter the portal. So you've got that going on. So you can imagine how difficult it is just with that going on. Uh, for a head coach because you're losing kids to the portal you're also trying to get a leg up in recruiting some of the kids that have entered the portal you're trying to look at your your roster and say well how many spots do i have you know what's going to go on in recruiting oh and then guess what comes up the early signing day period bam, gets thrown on you as well. So now you've got to finish out your recruiting class because let's face it, it's not early signing day. This is the signing day, the early signing day in December. And and so now you've got like all this pressure to try to finish your class, recruit this class. You're dealing with NIL. Now you're dealing with NIL and Portal and you're losing coaches. It's a total mess. It's a total mess. And the season's not even over. Imagine for a moment, Just just imagine this for a moment. If you're not driving, like maybe close your eyes. It's the last week of the, the regular season in the NFL, the National Football League. And it ends, all right? Boom, there we go. Last whistle, you know, in the last week, they all play on Sunday. And here we go, boom. And then the next day, the coaching carousel starts. Yeah, we're used to that, right? Black Monday, okay. Then on Tuesday... Free agency opens up. Then, the following Monday, the draft happens. Of course that wouldn't happen. So why do we do it in college football? That It doesn't make any sense. You can't survive in that chaos. Again, I, I said it earlier, it's a blender. We took all these things that are supposed to happen at some point in the calendar we throw them in the blender and then we just close the lid and we just like hit the five, Boom, five. Who can survive in that? Nobody can survive in that. We're not making smoothies here. Like, come on, come on. Somebody has got to be smarter than this. We are going to lose really good people and coaches out of this sport because we don't care for the calendar. And, and the calendar is is really important. And I think it's actually much more important than even the college football playoff. But the college football playoff, because that wasn't fixed the right way from, from the beginning, that's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. And then the NCAA just punted on NIL, so that's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Then they made terrible rulings and, and decisions based on portal, when it's open, when it's not, signing day, And so now all of a sudden, And again, this is always the case with the NCAA. They create a mess, then everybody else has to deal with it. So good on you, NCAA. Your calendar sucks. It sucks. And it's driving really good people out of the sport. So we've got to find a way to fix it. And it might take a long time, but... but I'm going to give some suggestions of how I would start to look at it because I don't think you can fix it overnight. But I think that there are things that you can do and ways that you can look at this that that start to make a little bit more sense and will help people in the sport. Because again, it's about a lot of things. It's about downtime. It's about roster management. It's it's, it's about the ability to impact positively kids' lives, both future players and current players. So all of this plays into it, and, and we need to at least pause and take a look at what are the things that we can do with the calendar to make it better. So I've got a couple of suggestions here and then a few points within each each suggestion. So let's start. My, my first point of two would be, number one, finish the season. Okay? So before we get into the portal and before we get into signing high school recruits, finish the season. I think it's absolutely crazy that we don't finish the season before we start signing kids and kids start transferring. Again, the analogy, let's go back to the people that do it best. Does the NFL open free agency the Tuesday after the regular season before the playoffs finish? Do they have the draft the Monday after, uh, you know, uh, uh, two Mondays after the regular season finishes, before the playoffs finish? Of course not, because that's crazy. So why do we do it in college football? Let's finish the season before we start to think about the roster for next season. I think that's a really important piece. Now, there, there's I'm sure people will, you know, bring up arguments about semesters and school and all this Finish the season. So a couple of things that we need to at least think about, at least think about when it comes to finishing the season. Hold on, I'm going to start coughing on you if I don't get some tea. Ooh, it's hot. It's hot. Yeti performs well. Not even a sponsor. It's just, is what it is. Okay. The first thing is it's common sense to just finish the season. I've already described that. The second thing is, I believe that college football football would benefit greatly by trying to move themselves away in the calendar from the National Football League, and really twofold. The first would be you move away from their most important games. So you, you want your valuable television property to be there before the NFL's playoffs begin. Because once you're competing with their playoffs, you are totally in second position, completely in second position as far as windows, days. Why would you do that? I don't think it's, it's very good business to do that. So I don't think we should take this big, massive break before we start the postseason, before we start the expanded playoff, before we start bowl games. There's no reason for that break. And do not come at me with your, well, they've got to have finals. Stop it now, immediately, immediately. I'm sorry, I don't buy it one bit. One, that excuse is given exactly zero times to any other intercollegiate sport, period. So you can't give it for college football. Secondly, I just lived through COVID and so did all these college kids in which they were just told to go home, take classes online, do all these. Like, nope, nope, nope. We have workarounds. And I don't want to hear about finals. I think that the regular season should end and we should move directly into the postseason. We need to finish the season. Okay. You get away from the NFL, both from a valuable, uh, valuable inventory standpoint, and you you move a player's decision whether he's going to opt for the NFL draft or not further toward the college season and and less towards that decision. I know I didn't say that all that clearly, but my mind is not working all that well right now. Let me try to rephrase that as best I can. You want players in college football to be thinking about college football and not the NFL. So you want to move the, the season as far away from their decision point as you can. I think you would probably encourage kids to play, by the way, in their postseason, even in in exhibition games. If that were happening in a point in time in the calendar that it was far away from the point where they had to make a decision about the National Football League. So there's there's number one, finish the season. It's common sense. You move away from the NFL in a lot of different uh, stances. Then the second thing that we need to wrap our minds around is that you need to space out the chaos. Okay, so all those things that I said were thrown into the blender. Those need to space out. Now, it will naturally happen that coaches start getting hired and fired and the carousel kind of begins, both at the end of the regular season and at the end of the postseason. That stuff naturally happens. But we can control when things like the portal are opened up and when things like signing day happens. We should not have two signing days. I think that that's crazy. I think it's a failed experiment in many regards. And so what I would like to see is that we finish the season, then we have a period of time in which the portal is open, boom, which is basically like free agency. Then the portal is closed before we have a signing day. You space out the chaos and it does a lot of different things. First and foremost is is that you're giving your coaches the opportunity to focus their attention on one area, not both areas. Okay, so you're serving the potential student-athlete, both in the transfer and the high school sense, in both areas. Because now you can focus on one or the other based on the calendar. I think that that's very beneficial. The other thing it helps you do is manage your roster. How am I building this roster? Because now more than ever, these rosters rosters are being constructed not on a four-year rolling basis, but on a year-to-year basis. Some of these programs, the smart ones, are going with a GM model where someone is there just to build the roster. So you're allowing them to build the roster, know what seats are filled before they go to the high school ranks. So now you're serving both the transfer athlete and the high school athlete. Because when they're all in a blender, sometimes high school kids that should be recruited are not being recruited, and sometimes portal kids that should find a spot don't find a spot. If those are separated out, I think we might mitigate those uh, those areas of kids not finding a spot that should be finding a spot. So that's where I'll end on the calendar. Again, lots of things um, that we can talk about during the course of the off-season, but that's the foundation that we're going to stop with today. Let's get into some of these uh, coaching uh, news, I guess you want to call it. Uh, Let's start with Alabama. Okay, so Alabama gets a couple of new coordinators. And again, I said in my last podcast, these are going to be the best two uh, positions open in college football. I still absolutely believe that they go to Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele. Uh, the Reese Steele Steele was, I think, a lot of people were like, okay, that, yeah, like that makes sense. Um, the Tommy Reese one rice raised, raised some eyebrows. I was even a little bit surprised, um, mainly because I I really thought Tommy was ultra committed to Notre Dame and to Marcus Freeman, but this is a great opportunity for Tommy Reese, a great opportunity. Look at the lineage of Alabama offensive coordinators and what they've gone on to do. So this is a no brainer for him. A 30 year old Tommy Reese gets a a, a chance of a lifetime to go work for the greatest college football coach in the history of the sport. You jump at that. You absolutely jump at that. So he's going down there and I've seen some Bama fans be like, well, what's he going to bring? You know, um, Keep in mind, Tommy's not going down there to run his offense. None of these guys were necessarily. I think Lane probably was there to start to implement things that were spread-oriented, and guys have had their different take on that, and they certainly have had their own fingerprint. But now that's become the Alabama Saban offense, And so Tommy Reese is going down there to put himself in the Alabama system and not vice versa. Um, He's going to learn a lot. I think that he's a really smart guy. And the bottom line is, I'm going to give Nick Saban the benefit of the doubt. He's the best college football coach in the history of the sport. Like, why wouldn't I give him the benefit of the doubt? I've heard from a lot of guys throughout college football, talked with a lot of guys that have been through an interview process with Coach Saban. And they've said it's eye-opening, maniacal, um, thorough, all of the above. Like, the vetting process is second to none. So if this guy makes it through it, and you're going to go and and you're going to be hired by Nick Saban, I trust Nick Saban. I don't like... So, Bama fans... I just have a question for you. Do you not trust Nick Saban? Do you think you know better? I think many of you are are trusting him as I am. And and I'm gonna stand with that. Tommy Reese is a really good coach. Uh, and I think that this will work out. Because by the way, it it always does <laughs> for Alabama. Again, they're the best, uh, he's the best coach in the history of college football. And then from a Kevin Steele standpoint, remember this defense should have been better last year. It really should have. They 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 fell below expectations in some important games and I think that the biggest difference when you look at what Bama has done over the last couple of years and what Georgia has done over the last couple of years it's actually been on the defensive side. Like Georgia has kind of exceeded Alabama in what they've done defensively. And so I think that Nick is going back to a guy that's like, okay, I'm going to bring in somebody that I really know that like is the older veteran guy that can come in and we can try to take the next step defensively and get to a place that we haven't been in the last couple of years. Uh, so, so those are, that's my take on on the Alabama situation. Bottom line, I trust Nick Saban. Now let's move to Iowa. Um, yeah. So. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, okay, so Brian Ferentz gets a weirdly worded contract. How do we do this? How do we do this? What do we? What do we, What do we even say about this? I did not think Brian Ferentz was going to be the offensive coordinator at Iowa next year. Done a lot of their games. I like Brian. I really like Kirk. You can't argue with what Kirk has done. Kirk Ferentz is, is and a lot of Iowa fans don't like this. And I've seen some of the message boards, but like he can't be above report, reproach. Well, he is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but he is. So, <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. This is this is crazy. I'm sorry. Like this is and by the way I know Gary Barda. Gary Barta is really good. Really good. This is a wild situation born out of the fact that Brian Ference is Kirk's son. There's no other way that an offensive coordinator would one keep this position and two get these weird parameters thrown in the contract. Has to win 7 games and average 25 points per game for a contract extension beyond next season. So there's like an exploration date. So now Brian Ferentz is a jug of milk in the refrigerator. I don't like what, what, what is happening? What is happening right now? I'm going to try my best to just kind of walk through this. Last year, Iowa was one of the worst offenses in all of college football. You see the numbers on your screen, those of you that are are watching the show. 123rd in college football points per game at just over 17 and a half. Last in total yards per game, 251. 127th in rush yards per carry at 2.9. And 129th on third down. It was awful. And they were playing some of the best defense in the entire sport. So, like, if you are just competent on the offensive side, they're probably a division winner, almost certainly a division winner, and and playing in a New Year's game. You know, like, it, they they fell so far below expectations, which is why, like, listen, there is no other way to put it. I, I like everybody involved. And yet, there's no other way to slice it other than saying, like, Brian is still the offensive coordinator because he's the son of the head coach. There's no other coordinator keeps their job in this situation. And they certainly don't get these these weird parameters put in there. Name one. I'll wait. It hasn't happened. So, now what does this do? Okay, so let's, let's... let's actually project this out, okay? Like, what does this look like in practice? Well, that leads me to my very first point, and the one that actually got me, like, the most frustrated. Really good people involved. I like all these people, and yet this is really unfair to the players because this is all they're going to be asked about. It's really unfa- un- unfair to Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, and Cade McNamara, who just transferred in, and Eric All, who just transferred in. Right? Like, you can't do that to this- these players. This is all they're going to be asked about. Now all of a sudden, what? It's their job to help Brian keep his job. Come on, like we, you, we can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. that that's that's not okay. This. This is an offense that scored 17 and a half points per game last year and yet they benefited from a defense that scored more points than any other defense in college football. The defense alone for Iowa accounted for 20% of their total points last year. That's more than double the next closest team. 20%. So like really, really the Iowa offense scored 15, 14 points per game last year. 14 points per game. And you're asking them to now score 25? What if they don't? What if they don't? They're going to be asked about it. The broadcasters are going to talk about it. And more importantly, it's going to affect the way that they play the game. And this is the bigger point. Iowa has a very specific blueprint of how they uh, uh, go about winning football games. They win games with field position. They win games with defense. They win games with special teams. And they win games by not making mistakes on the offensive side. All right, yes. Was it not good enough? Of course it wasn't good enough. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden that Iowa should be, what, top 20. That's not the style of game that they want to play, nor should they play. So now let me pose a hypothetical question for you. It is... Six minutes to go in the, let's call it the third quarter, okay? Iowa's been okay offensively, but not great, okay? Not great. They're getting a few third downs here and there. More importantly, they're getting like a couple first downs per possession. So they're really creating like four minutes time of possession per series. They're up 17 to three. There's four minutes to go now in the third quarter. They've got the ball on like, you know, their own 40-yard line. The opposing offense has done exactly nothing all day long. The only way they got into field goal range was they got one long pass and then didn't do anything and kicked a long field goal. It's clear to everybody in the building, everybody watching the game, that the opposing offense is not going to drive the field on Iowa. There's four minutes to go in the third quarter. It's 17-3. to What plays are you calling if you're Brian Ferentz? So again, how is this fair to anybody? It's not fair to him. Now he's got to call plays to go score. Guys are going to be trying to, to make plays that create scoring plays. Which lead to putting the ball in precarious spots, which leads to turnovers, which leads to a potential blown lead when the defense is is clearly not going to give up more than six points that day, in particular if you give the opposing offense long fields. So again, like what what are we doing? So so he's gonna fall short of the twenty five points per game, you know, moniker there, but you're gonna win the game 17 to three. Isn't the point to win the game? it's not they've they've got to change this you listen iowa <clears throat> i kind of understand <clears throat> why you did this excuse me but the bottom line is that this needs to be removed from the contract immediately or you need to move on and find a new offensive coordinator <clears throat> and i don't think you're going to do that so <clears throat> i think that this is a bad situation there's been a lot of jokes and everyone's like oh how's this going to work but again I I I go down to like the practice of actually playing those games, being the quarterback, being the running back, being the tight end. I don't love it, you know. Like getting to seven wins, what happens if they score thirty points per game? But the defense isn't quite as good. Well, now is it Phil Parker's fault that Brian Ferentz loses his job? Come on, like we can't we can't do that. We can't do that, and and quite frankly, I don't think that this puts anybody in the best position to succeed, and they need to rethink this. Kirk is a smart guy. Gary Barta is a smart guy. Brian is a smart guy. They need to get in, in a room and either move on or remove this and move forward uh, because that's the only way to go. All right, <clears throat> I'm running along a little bit, but I do want to get into some mailbag questions because we've got some really good ones. So let's get into some mailbag questions uh, right now. By the way, if you have a question, and more so, really, you know what my vision for this is more like, if you want some advice, so questions, yes, I'll take them, but if you want some advice, life advice, I'd like to get into some life advice stuff, and I've got one today, and hopefully you, you, you like it, but you can send us an email, the Joel Clatcho Mailbag at gmail.com. Send them in. We'll try to get to them, uh, as many as we can. We'll pick kind of the three best um, that we get each week. Okay. Let's start with the first one. This one comes in and it is a question. It is college football related and it is Super Bowl related since it is Super Bowl week. Uh, Jay Collin, I want to say that, Cosby says, do you think it's easier for a coach to win the CFP, college football playoff, or a Super Bowl? Well, I thought that we would just go straight to the numbers because the data in this one should bear it out. And the easy answer before I give you the data is this. It is way easier to win a Super Bowl than it is a college football playoff. And you might think to yourself, like, that's crazy. Well, stand by. Twelve of the last 15 college football titles have been won by exactly four coaches. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney, and Urban Meyer. The other coaches to win those other titles are Coach O, Ogeron, Jimbo Fisher, and Gene Chizik. Two of those guys not even coaching. Uh, And Urban's not even coaching. The last 15 Super Bowls have actually been won by 12 different head coaches. So you get this? So last 15 years, 12 college football titles won by four coaches. The last 15 Super Bowls have been won by 12 different head coaches. Only two head coaches have multiple Super Bowl wins in the last 15 years. Bill Belichick and Tom Coughlin. So, like... What's easier? Clearly, winning the Super Bowl. The last five Super Bowls have been won by five different coaches. If the Eagles went on Sunday, it would be six. Seven of the last eight college football national titles have been won by three guys. Nick Saban, uh, Kirby Smart, and Dabo Sweeney. Those three also have six runner-ups in the last eight season. So that means, think about this, that means 13 of the last 16 spots in the title game have been taken by three coaches. The fact remains that everything in college football is built for the rich to stay rich. It is not a parity sport. Meanwhile, in the NFL, everything is built for parity. You look at what goes on in terms of the salary cap, uh, unbalanced scheduling, Uh, 14 of the 32 teams make the playoffs. That's 44% of the entire sport. In college football, 4 of 131 make the college football playoff. That's 3%. Even when it goes to 12, that's only 9%. The worst teams are rewarded with the best draft picks. Meanwhile, in recruiting, the best teams get the best players. So it's it, this is an easy answer, and I know it's it might not be the one that you expected, but what's easier, winning a Super Bowl as a head coach or winning a college football national championship? Winning a Super Bowl, and it's not even close. By the way, let's get into quickly my pick for this weekend. So Chiefs-Eagles... <clears throat> And I'm going to make this pretty quick because my voice is, is is dying a little bit. I'm going to go with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. The main reason being, as great as the Eagles have been at the line of scrimmage and as great as Jalen Hurts has been, and I love Jalen Hurts, the bottom line is, is their run over the last, what, six, seven weeks, six, seven games, has come against less than stellar quarterbacks and quarterback play. And now they're going to face what is arguably the best quarterback in uh, pro football at this point. And Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I'm going to go with the known coach in Andy Reid. And I think that the Chiefs get it done. Okay. Next mailbag question. Miguel comes in. Miguel, he says, I'm 22 years old and currently in my last year of college. If you could go back in time, what is something you wished you could tell yourself at my age that you wished you knew? Miguel, I'm really glad that you asked this question. Um, There's one thing that I did know and have done really well, and I'm going to give you that, and then there's one that I would go back and I would tell myself. Um, Let me start with the thing that I did well. What I did well is that I said yes. I think too many times young people today in your position – think that you know, the job or the tasks that they do at their job have to be exactly what they want to do forever and ever, and they've got to be passionate about it, and blah, blah, blah. That's not the case. Okay, You have to work to a point where you get to a point and to a position where you can have one of those jobs or careers. So I said yes to a lot of things, in particular in broadcasting. Let me give you a quick story. When I first got a chance to like make broadcasting a career, I had a chance to do a local radio show in Denver, Colorado. They agreed to pay me, I think it was like $16,000 a year. I didn't even see all that $16,000 a year. But that's that was fine. Why? Because the experience was better than the actual pay. I didn't attach the value of that job to the pay. I attached the value of that job to the experience. So I said yes to it. When I was doing television, I said yes to everything. They said, hey, would you want to do... Colorado Rockies pre pregame and postgame as an analyst. You were a former minor league baseball player. I said, "Yep, you bet." Do you want to do sidelines for a high school football game? Absolutely. Do you want to interview this person? Yes. Okay. Do you want to do uh, analysts in the booth? Yes, absolutely. I did everything to the point where all of a sudden I was a host. I was on radio. I hosted the you know Rockies pregame and postgame show at a, at a later time. I came to Fox and hosted shows. Long story short. I said yes, and I tried my best. I was I was not too proud to try things and to say yes and to and to do things to the best of my ability. That's number one. Number two, and this is the advice that I wish I would have had. Don't wish away time. All you kids in college, um, young young people in college, if you're just getting out of college, it's really easy to wish away time, and it's really easy to wish away time throughout your 20s, and even in your 30s. And let me give you an example. Like, it's very easy to constantly long for the moment that you meet the person that you're going to marry. Uh, it's easy to long for the time once you're married for like, okay, well, when are we going to have kids? And then you have kids and you say like, okay, well, when is that job going to come up? And and only if I can get this this job. And And now the kid is here. And oh, man, only if the kid sleeps through the night. And oh, man, it'll be much better when we can get out of that car seat and into a booster. Don't wish away time. Be in the moment. Be in the moment. Enjoy every period of your life as best you can because it's the only one you got. And I know I'm only 41 and this sounds like someone that's like 80 years old at the end of his career, but don't wish away time. My sons now are getting bigger and bigger every single day. They're 11, nine, and six years old. I would do anything to take my 11 year old and make him six again. You know, like he spent more time in my house now already than he will spend in the next few years before he leaves to college. That breaks my heart. Enjoy every day for every day. Be where your feet are at and and really do your best in that moment. So that's my best advice to you, Miguel. Last one before we get out of here in the mailbag. This says, Zion, is Remember the Titans the greatest football movie of all time? I got to take a big old drink of tea here. No. No, it's not. Remember, the Titans is really good. But there's only two movies, football movies, that can be discussed as the greatest football movies ever. If your answer doesn't start with a THE program or Varsity Blues Then we might not be able to be friends. The program is easily like, that's where I went right away. And then it's like, varsity blue creeps in and it's like, well, that one's pretty good too. And are they both over the top? Yes. Yes. Of course they're both over the top. They're so far over the top, it's not even funny. But that's what makes them so great. That's what makes them so great. Darnell Jefferson? Come on. Carrying the football around campus? Are you kidding me? Like, There were so many Alvin Mack in the program. The program is the best. It's the best. It's the best. The quarterback who's like on the edge riding the motorcycle. I mean, the boosters giving the money in the envelopes. So like, by the way, college football, guess what we never did? We never got together and like had a, had a, 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 (laughs) what do they call it? Like a, A jacket event, you know, like a business event after the game. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. And I still love it. The program is phenomenal. And Varsity Blues. Are you kidding me? Johnny Moxon with his terrible Texas accent. I mean, come on. Oop de oop left. Oop de oop. Oop de oop. What do we do? I mean, Bud Kilmer. Those two movies are amazing. And I'm sorry, like, Remember the Titans just doesn't quite equal up to those movies. In close uh, second, the the tier where Remember the Titans would fall would be in that tier with, like, Rudy, Any Given Sunday, and then Remember the Titans. That's the next tier. Okay? Now, if you disagree, please hit me up on Twitter. Uh, You can hit me up at Joel Klatt. Rudy is pretty good, like... I was a walk-on, so I like they glorified the walk-on deal a little bit too much, right? Like it's it is what it is. Any given Sunday, just for the sake that that speech, the Pacino speech in any given Sunday, goes down as one of the great speeches in the history of football movies or any movie. On this team, we fight for that inch. I love that speech. Love that speech. Remember the Titans is pretty good. It's pretty good. And then you get into like your like water boys and like Longest Yard and Unnecessary Roughness. And those are all like after that. The Program and Varsity Blues. Those are the two best football movies of all time. Football movies, by the way, pale in comparison to baseball movies. Not even close. Not even close. Baseball movies blow the football movies out of the water. Like I said, it's not even close. Uh, thank you again for listening to the show. Remember, subscribe, rate, review us if you could, and then um, follow us at Joel Clatt Show on any of the social medias. If you want to send something into the mailbag, that's uh, the Joel Clatt Show mailbag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll be here next week.